Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. On this episode of Killer Genes, part two of the death of Carrie Owsley. Was his death a suicide? Or did someone else pull the trigger? Honestly, I believe there was a plan for Carrie's murder. I don't believe this was some happenstance. And I think they this was a plan to kill him. The following episode of Killer Genes contains graphic and sensitive information and material. Listener discretion is advised. Emmy-nominated true crime journalists bring you cases like you've never heard them before. Hear first-hand accounts from the victims' families, private investigators, lawyers, law enforcement, and even the convicted. Giving you a complete 360 of the case like no one else can. I'm Melissa McCarty. I'm Kelly McClear. And this is Killer Jeans. Carrie Owsley of Indiana was just 49 years old when his wife of two years found him dead from a gunshot wound to the chest. Lisa told the 911 operator that Carrie had shot himself. 911, where's your husband just shot himself at Roosevelt Street. Okay. Where did he shoot himself? It looks like in the chest. He doesn't look like he's breathing or anything. Did he just do it? Yes. He's been severely depressed and seeing a psychotherapist. Carrie and Lisa were on the outs, and he was planning on moving out that very morning. But Carrie wouldn't make it out of the house alive. Was Carrie Owsley in fact depressed because of the failed marriage? Or was something more sinister at work? Logan Owsley is Carrie's son who was supposed to help him move some items from the house that morning, but instead he arrived to a flood of Bartholomew County Sheriff Deputy vehicles. When you arrived at the house that morning, can you tell me what the scene was like and what were you and what you were told? Well, I got the phone call from my grandma and I lost it. I threw my phone, I grabbed my keys and I just, I drove straight through town all the way out to his house, which is maybe, maybe like a five to eight minute drive. And I pulled up in the yard and I ran into the house and I just screamed, uh, where's my dad? I want to see my dad. And Lisa is just looking at me and nobody's saying anything to me. And, um, I, I'm looking in the kitchen. Uh, I go to go back to the back hallway and, um, uh, the sheriff, um, Christy Sims came around the corner and was like, I can't let you back here. Your dad wouldn't want, want to see you, like, want you to see him like this. And at that point, I, stormed out the front door and I sat in the front yard and by myself and just cried. Did Lisa say anything to you at all? She came out to me um, at one point through this after I'd been out by myself for a while before my grandma grandma and my brother showed up and uh, I was leaning up against a truck and she put her hand on my shoulder and said, your dad was a very depressed man, and turned around and walked back in the house. 
Did you say anything? I I did not. I I couldn't believe that she she would just come out there and say something like that and then just leave me for somebody that uh supposedly loved him. That's just not and like for you to treat their their son like that while he's by himself. Lisa Owsley had been married before she met Carrie. She had two sons, Josh and Dwayne Jaynes Jr., with her ex-husband, Dwayne Jaynes Sr., who was none other than a Bartholomew County Sheriff's deputy. Who else was there? What other family members on Lisa's side were there? I believe, I think Josh was the first one there. And then, um, well, obviously, um, her ex-husband was already there in the back room with my dad doing cleanup or whatnot. He never talked to me, but there was a neighbor over there that were, was with her. And then shortly after, um, junior Dwayne junior showed up. And to your knowledge, since Josh was Josh arriving after you, or was he there before you? Um, I'm pretty sure he arrived after me. What did you know about Dwayne Sr.? Well, not a lot, honestly. Dad didn't really talk much about him. Uh, he said that he was an all right guy and uh, he wasn't too bad. But um, him and Dad also had words over over the boys. So when you saw Dwayne Sr. there, you didn't think anything of it because he's a Bartholomew County Sheriff's deputy. So you didn't find yeah. it odd that he was in the house? I honestly didn't even know he was in the house until he came out with some with some stuff. Because there was a sheriff's car parked in the driveway, and I was just assuming that it was just one of the sheriffs that were there. But he was in his plain clothes. He didn't say anything to me. I'm sure it's all still such a blur today. Um did did somebody finally come up and talk to you and tell you what happened? Because Lisa was the one that made the nine one one call. So yeah. you know what did they tell you that morning happened? I was honestly, I don't think, I don't think anybody did. I think the in, initial call from my grandmother saying that my dad had shot himself was the only thing I had to go off of, and the only thing that was in my head the entire time. I tried to call Lisa after um, they took my dad away and everybody went home, but she wouldn't respond to any of my phone calls. Cheryl Owsley Jackson, Carrie's sister, confidant, and best friend, had a nickname for him, Dodie. And she remembers exactly where she was when she got the call that Dodie was dead. I was on a, a blind date, the Max.com blind date with a Chicago detective. and. We were sitting there for three hours talking, and he went to the bathroom, and when I turned my phone over, everybody in my life had been calling me numerous times. So one text message said, call your mom. I called my mom, and she doesn't even take a breath. Dodie's dead. Lisa said he shot himself. And I was like, mom, you know, go double check. I don't, you know, I was just, so when the cop comes, the, 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 my blind date comes out of the bathroom, I'm on the floor, and he takes my phone. He talks to my mother. This guy I met three hours before is a high-level Chicago detective. And he talks to my mother, and he says, I'll get her home. 
So when I get to Columbus, he says to me, I want you to get a pen and a piece of paper. And I want you to write down every single thing I tell you because the evidence does not make sense. So what about Carrie's death did not make sense? Well, for starters, the fact that Dwayne Jane Sr., Lisa's ex-husband, who was not on duty at the time, was the first person on the scene. Secondly, he entered the house and touched potential evidence, going so far as to help remove Carrie's body from the home. Oh, and least not forget that the gun that Carrie supposedly shot himself with was in fact one of Dwayne Jane Sr.'s guns. This cop is the first guy on the crime scene, called there by his son. First guy on the crime scene. My brother is supposedly shot himself with his gun. This cop is off duty. He runs the crime scene, the investigation. When the other cops show up, he's like, hey, Carrie was suicidal, shot himself. And then in his own police report, Dwayne James Sr. says, it's my gun. Um, I did help uh, Sergeant Johnson process the gun. Um, I helped move the body. I moved the bloody rug from under his body. And I saw someone, which I'm sure he doesn't know their name. I mean, what's wrong with not saying who that was? I saw someone burn the chair Carrie died in. So when I figure, try to figure out why someone does this, why do you touch every single piece of evidence in the crime scene? It is so contaminated by his DNA that maybe he thinks that um, we can never find the answer. If he admits that he touched everything, then, of course, any DNA shows up. You know, if he's involved in the murder, it shows up. But also, to just tell the world, this crime seems contaminated. Nothing can be trusted in here. So, so you believe that, that was, was intentional? Yeah, I do. I believe Dwayne Sr., his son, Lisa Jane, and Lisa's brother. Honestly, I believe there was a plan for Carrie's murder. I don't believe this was some happenstance. I believe, you know, this, this, this was building. Carrie's going to try to leave with $40,000, half of his money. He has all those guns in that safe. He has this, he has that. And I think they, this was a plan to kill him. Get ready to have your mind blown. I'm new to CBD because THC was always too strong for me. And sometimes CBD doesn't do much at all. Now we found a company, CBDX, that has perfectly blended the two and it's legal. I tried the gummies, which are potent and you will definitely feel it. It's not your average CBD. No, Melissa, it is not. And you know that I have been a huge fan of CBD for years now. And I'm so excited for the products from CBDX because they are game changers. I had some friends try the products for a biased opinion, and they came back with rave reviews saying that they never felt more relaxed and more focused than ever before. CBDX created a Delta 8 THC. It's in the form of vape cartridges, edibles, or buds and really fun flavors. Now, I was surprised to see that it shipped directly to my house regular mail. That's because it's federally legal and it's easier than going to a dispensary. Yeah. So if you live in a state where cannabis is illegal, this is an amazing alternative. Now, just note, though, that CBDX will show up on a drug test as THC. 
But as far as strengths, the gummies go up to 25 milligrams and you still enjoy all the benefits of CBD. So if you want to give it a try, go to CBDX.com. That's CBDX. Use the code KILLERGENES for 20% off and a free gift will be added to your order. Dwayne James Sr., Lisa's ex-husband, never denied being at the scene. In the Bartholomew County Sheriff's Office report, Dwayne James Sr. said he received a call from his oldest son at 1.37 p.m. saying that Carrie had shot himself. James Sr. went immediately to the Owsley residence. He states in his report that he assisted in making the gun safe, he assisted coroner Larry Fisher in placing Carrie in a body bag and carrying him out. He went on further to say that, quote, after the coroner and law enforcement left, I, with the help of my son, Dwayne, cut out a section of the rug that was blood soaked, bagging it for disposal. Carrie Owsley was found dead in his office, a single gunshot wound to the chest beneath him a wooden dining room-like chair with the back spindles shattered was tipped over onto its back. There was a bullet hole in the wall behind the chair. Investigators would claim that Carrie was sitting in the chair, put the gun to his chest, and pull the trigger. And when he collapsed backwards, the chair went backwards with him. It's a ruling that Carrie's sister Cheryl is not buying for a second. You know, now, when you so, were first told by authorities that your brother committed suicide, did you instantly think these things or did you have a split second moment where you thought maybe it got that bad and he did? No, I knew he was fighting. Carrie out was a fighter. I'm going to tell you what I think happened because he had his pickup truck back at the door, called his son to help him move. And honestly, he could have put his butt in that seat and driven away. He could have done that. But I bet you what was happening with this fighting over this uh, safe and Carrie was saying, I'm not leaving without it. And that's it. And it just escalated. But I don't uh, think for a minute that he called his own son and um, had his pickup back to the, to the door and then just decided, you know what, I think I'll kill myself. I think Carrie was in a battle for his life. If you also look at the, the evidence, there are two bullet holes behind him in the wall, you know? And you got to wonder, did, I mean, he's a pretty good shot if he didn't kill himself the first time, you know? So I don't, no, I don't believe Carrie, I don't have an inkling about that. Another thing that's always bothered me about the crime scene and, and lack of evidence collection was that there were two beer bottles in the office. Yeah. They both had condensation on them, meaning probably yeah. from, you know, within a few hours. One had been partially consumed and right. not by Carrie because there was no alcohol in his system. Were you given exactly. any explanation for that or what are your thoughts on, on that? That was one of the pieces of evidence the sheriff had in front of me. He said, there's also, keep in mind, Terry Alvey is a random guy who's going to kind of like, you know, fix your car, you know, like maybe rip the steering wheel off with the engine fix. You know, he's not a guy who's going to like put all his medicines lined up in order and the, and the, and the beer cans facing forward anyway. But they were, I think this scene was set up, beer cans facing forward, medicine all facing forward to say he drank a lot, took a bunch of medicine, killed himself, and then nothing shows up in the system but some coffee. And the medication he was supposed to take in therapeutic amounts. So this is all a setup. In in your fight for answers in Carrie's death, I know you've you've played detective yourself and and you know did FOIA requests for uh, you know the police file and all the records and interviews and everything like that. What 
what were some of the most surprising things that were or were not in those files? And my other big question is, is what were the alibis of Lisa, Josh Janes, Dwayne Janes Sr., and Dwayne Janes Jr.? Okay, the, the alibis are interesting because, um, for one thing, Jane, uh, D- um, Dwayne Jane Sr. supposedly meets a friend, go for a motorcycle ride, and they, there's a gas station, and the guy says, we're here 10 minutes, and, and Lisa calls, and he says, I got to go, my stepdad shot himself. When I quote that, someone actually calls us and says, hey, um, Dwayne was with us. You know, he said, I'll be honest, smoking weed. And he said, he was with us. And he goes, I got to go. My stepdad just shot himself. And let me just say, the guy called me and told me that Dwayne James Jr. was with him when he said, you know, that my stepdad just killed himself. When you look at Josh's alibi, he says he's somewhere. And then he remembers, okay, yeah, that's right. I wasn't there. And then they ask the person, the girlfriend, she says, well, I think he was here. And they say, what time? She goes, I'm not good with time. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of alibis they have. And so, um, you know, everybody was on the scene there when, you know, whenever um, Dodie's son got there, Carrie's son got there, everybody was on the scene except Josh. And I thought that was significant, uh, that he wasn't there. That's why I think, that's another reason I think he was a shooter. But Josh is also the guy that you can't trust on your team, right? Because he's the one that takes a picture of the fire in the backyard where they're burning the chair and whatever else and post it on uh, Instagram. And, I mean, on Facebook, it says, LOL, you know, so I have those pictures. Josh is the guy who took that picture of the fire in the backyard. I believe Josh has already told people what happened. Um, I think Dwayne James Jr. has too. There are witnesses who were there and saw James Sr. cleaning the house all night long, filling up the holes with bleach. They were cleaning everything with bleach. Um, and you have to ask yourself, Dwayne Sr. is married to someone else. Why is he at his ex-wife's house through the night cleaning up a crime scene of a suicide? Well, here's the thing I I wanted to ask you, uh, and maybe this is a difficulty too, is uh, technically wasn't the crime scene cleared and ruled a suicide. So how do you fight him cleaning it up and burning things and removing things if it was cleared? Once someone releases a crime scene and says that it was a suicide, you can clean it up. What I'm saying is, why is your ex-husband cleaning it up? Why is he there cleaning it up? And I believe it's because he's a police officer, and he believes that he can clean it up so that there is no evidence left. For our listeners right now that are that are following this bizarre um, and Swiss cheese hold-filled um, case <laughs> like thereof, we have Carrie Owsley, who is, has an estranged relationship with Lisa. He has a strained relationship with her two sons, Dwayne Jr. and Josh. Josh is wanting to move back into the house. Carrie says no. The next morning, Carrie is trying to move his items out of the house when, lo and behold, Carrie allegedly shoots himself in the chest. Now, in terms of the crime scene, there is no physical possible way that the way Carrie's body was found that he could have shot himself in that manner. You've got three different bullet holes scattered around the room, uh, none of which casings in the bullets were ever actually uh, collected and tested. No forensics uh, was ever done on the gun. 
itself that was allegedly found next to Carrie. Uh, There's a broken spindle of a chair, which was also allegedly burned afterwards by the Janes family. The rug, which had uh, the blood stain on it, was cut out by the Janes family and disposed of afterwards. There's two beer bottles that were never tested forensically. Uh, The, the, autopsy and the toxicology report do not match up which was at the scene there um Dwayne Jane's senior uh helped clean up the house after uh, authorities released the house there was no gun no ballistics reports and GSR was never taken from Carrie's hands do i have that correct but yet somehow somehow the Bartholomew County Sheriff's office rules Carrie's death a suicide oh and there's no suicide note either it just—it was written when I die. I want all my sister. I want my sister to have all my stuff, which makes me think it was written before Logan, his own son, was even born. But also in the police report, the police say we found this note four months later in a stackable in the basement, and we believe it was written before he met Lisa. Lisa turned it into them four months later, and then the newspaper that I wrote for for uh, a decade starts saying there was a there was a death note by his body. But they don't say it's a suicide note. They just put it out there so that when I walk out in the community, people are like, hmm, I'm sorry about the suicide note. And I'm like, there was no damn suicide note. And that's what I was writing then. I mean, I'm writing to the public, the staff of people that I've worked with, and I'm like, stop saying it's a suicide note. It's not. But investigators were sticking with the suicide ruling. Logan Owsley remembers being in the house the day of his father's death. I seen my dad on the stretcher. As they were taking him out, and they had to pry me off of him, and then I'm just I'm just trying to trying to process what is going on as I'm sitting in his chair in the living room with his cigarettes and his lighter and his ashtray and his cup of coffee, and just trying to take it all in, you know, because this is this is the last moment. This is it. And her and um, Junior, Dwayne Junior, are talking back and forth. I'm not going to lie. I did see like a little bit of a smirk on their faces a couple times. And I'm not really sure what that was all about. They were whispering back and forth. And then she sent um, Dwayne Junior over by himself to tell me and my brother that they weren't going to have a funeral for my dad and that they were going to have him cremated. Ash Logan, I am so sorry that that happened to you. Um, I just, I can't begin to imagine what that must have felt like in that moment in, you know, the worst heartbreak one could ever imagine at that moment. And that's what they say to you. But you didn't cremate your father, correct? No. Right. No, we fought him. And Carrie's family fought together. And Lisa calls me. And when I finally get in touch with Lisa, she says, we're going to cremate him, no service. And I just told her, no, that's not going to happen. And she said, yeah, we're going to cremate him, no service. And I said, over my dead body. And I just said, I will sue you. I will, you know, and I just kept, and I, I, and I literally got to the point where I was begging her. And I said, I will pay fully for it. You do not have to pay anything for it. And she goes, I have to talk to someone. I'll get back to you. And so I went to the funeral home as soon as I got to Columbus and I guarded the door because I was afraid. I just stayed in my car because I was afraid they were going to do something with his body and not give it to me. The next morning, early in the morning, Lisa calls me and says, 
we're going to go ahead and give you custody of the body. I'm going to sign it over. I said, when are you going to do that? Because I was afraid she would give them, you know, permission to cremate him. She pulls up in the car, a sheriff's car, with Jane Sr. She goes in, and I presume this is to protect her from me. She goes in, signs the paperwork to give Terry's body to me. She's back in Jane Sr.'s car and leaves. And so this, to me, is a family conspiracy. With the Owsley family gaining possession of Carrie's body, they were finally able to have their funeral for Carrie. Logan remembers it all too well. In the process of getting the funeral arrangements going, you know, um, my aunt, being the fighter she is, said that she didn't want them there. Cheryl was referring to Lisa Owsley and her sons Josh and Dwayne Jr. But I stepped in and I said, you know, this is the last time they ever get to see my dad. This is the last time they get to say they're sorry for whatever they've done, just so I don't have any guilt on my shoulders for not letting somebody have the right to say goodbye. I said, let's give them an hour before anybody shows up to come see my dad. So we're not there. We don't cross paths. And we get there and ask, and none of them showed up. Not a single one of them showed up. A woman that supposedly loved her husband did not even show up to tell him goodbye. That would have broke his heart. It's breaking my heart right now listening to that. Did you at that time then realize that you think something more sinister happened to your father? You know, when did you come to that realization that something's not right other than that your you know father wouldn't do that to you what what was that moment for you where you said this this just isn't adding up it was it was the funeral and everything that happened after the funeral i mean i didn't even get a chance to go out to my dad's house ever again the day that i seen him on the stretcher was the last time i was ever in that house she didn't i called her a couple times and she finally picked up And I was asking her, please let me come out and go through stuff with you. Please. My dad was very particular. He had like my baby teeth in his safe, um, my first locks of hair. You know, I'm just begging her, please just let me come out and go through the, I don't, I don't, I don't care about this stuff. Just let me go. Let me just, uh, my, my decompression, you know what I mean? Let me just go through it with you. She's no, 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 no. And then I asked her about um, his truck and boat because that was like our thing. We go fishing. We go out in the truck all the time. I was always helping him work on it. And I wasn't asking for anything. I didn't ask for a single thing but that truck and the boat. And I offered to pay her half of what it was all worth. I I was offering to buy my dad's things from her. Did she give you a reason why, or was it just no? Um, With the truck and the boat, she finally agreed after a lot of pleading. So I was like, all right, I will look everything up. I looked up the Kelly Blue Book on the boat and the truck. I sent it to her, and I said, I I will give you half of everything, what everything's worth. And she said, all right. So I pull out all my savings, all of my cash. I go out, I'm doing, I'm power washing people's cars out in the street, trying to gather up the money as fast as I can. 
I get the money and I call her, no answer. I call her again, no answer. Two days later, I get an envelope in the mail from her lawyer saying that she's no longer going to sell me the boat and truck, that she's going to claim it as $25,000 spousal allowance. Excuse my language. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Does she still have the truck and the boat? She gave the truck to her son. I've seen her son driving it a couple times, and I'm not really sure what happened to the boat. You've seen him drive your father's truck? Yep. Cheryl and Logan's fight for the truth was not over. With little to no investigation into how or why Carrie died and lack of an autopsy being conducted, the Owsley family wanted to exhume Carrie's body, but it wouldn't be so easy. Lisa, the coroner, the city fought one year against the exhumation of Carrie's body. And I have to say, why don't you say, hey, let her exhume his body so she can see he killed himself and go away. But they don't do that. Carrie's family realized they were going to need help in getting answers into what really happened the day Carrie died. So they turned to attorney Trent McCain. What were some of your first impressions when you started reading through the case file? It was quite shocking. He ends up dead on the same day that he was planning to leave his wife. It just didn't make any sense to me. Once we started taking a look at the evidence, and once we realized how hard it was and how hard we were going to have to fight just to exhume Carrie's body, we knew that someone had something to hide. So let's talk about the exhumation. So Carrie Owsley, you know, is found dead. They rule it a suicide. And didn't Lisa Owsley originally want Carrie cremated, but... They did not, and he was buried, and Cheryl fought to have Carrie's body exhumed for a second autopsy. Is that correct? Cheryl did say that they wanted to have, or Lisa wanted to have Carrie's body cremated. But Cheryl, her nephew, Logan, and her mom, Miss Rose, they strenuously objected to that. The widow, Miss Lisa Owsley, she did time what is called a disposition of the remains. It's a legal document that says, I am the legal spouse, but I am disclaiming any responsibility or any say-so with respect to my husband's remains. Simply says, okay, it's out of my hands. It's in your hands now. That was one of our main arguments where we were trying to have Carrie's remains exhumed that she had forfeited her rights to even have a say-so in this by signing those disposition of remains form. The other aspect of that is that there was never an autopsy done. The then coroner, who was also a named defendant in the case, Larry Fisher, he came on the scene. He interviewed Lisa Owsley. He spoke with the sheriff's deputies, and he ruled it a suicide based upon their accounts of what they discovered. He should have ordered an autopsy at that time, and he didn't do that. His failure to order an autopsy is in direct violation of his training as a coroner. If you come upon a scene of an apparent suicide, and there are there's only one witness, in this case, 
that one witness was purported to be Lisa Owsley, then you need to order an autopsy. It also has other regulations in there that says if this case could lead to criminal or civil proceedings in the future, you should order an autopsy. Then they have a number of other things, factors that the coroner should consider before ruling out an autopsy. But he didn't do it. And he was so recalcitrant about not doing it and unapologetic about it that he was named in the lawsuit because Logan and Cheryl believe, the family believes, that he was part of a conspiracy to cover this up. Carrie's body is finally exhumed, but what should be the next step towards answers was anything but. So they exhumed his body. The vault's not closed. One year later, our pathologist is stunned to find that he's in standing water because he was not, the vault was not closed. The only thing that was left was the wound on the top of his body and the trajectory of the bullet. And the wound on his body, both pathologists say, was altered after his death. Who is responsible for altering the wound after Terry's death? And who is responsible for making sure that the vault is not closed so that he's in standing water and almost deteriorated, right? So there's a lot of cover-up for a guy who's supposed to have just killed himself. Still, a second autopsy is attempted. Attorney Trent McCain explains the findings. So once an autopsy is finally done, what were the results And what are you guys doing with that information? Once an autopsy was finally done, over a year after Carrie Osley died, both autopsies were inconclusive. There was a state-appointed pathologist who performed the autopsy, and the autopsy was completely observed by our expert. He was there the whole step of the way, and he prepared a report along with the pathologist that was appointed by the court. And both of them concluded that the manner of death was unable to be determined. So they could not rule out homicide and they could not rule out suicide. Both doctors said that there was significant degradation in the remains, which made an autopsy more difficult. Also, a lot of evidence was missing. For example, the shirt that Carrie was wearing at the time he was shot was either discarded by the funeral home, burned, or whatever. It was missing. So they could not do an analysis on that. His hands were not bagged. Usually, when you have an autopsy done, they will bag the hands of the decedent in order to test the hands for gunshot residue. And that was not done. Any number of things that would have been able to provide more information as to how Carrie died was now forever lost because an autopsy was not done on April 7th, 2013. Coming up on the next episode, a family's battle rages on. And was another death before Carrie's possibly suspicious too? And Cheryl, this is not the first um, run-in with suicide in the Janes family. Is that correct? No, that's correct. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow Killer Jeans on Facebook and on Instagram. It's at Killer Jeans, the podcast. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to Killer Jeans on Podcast One, 
Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts.